you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. I wanted to be a professional athlete, or I wanted to be, you know, someone that, that is in one of those roles and, and never in my life did I ever think that I'd be cleaning windows for a living, but here I am. That's, that's what I do every day. I clean glass, you know, we're going to start shoveling all of our money in and we're going to go through some larger drawdown that might extend, you know, longer than what we've been used to in the, in the past decade or so. Um, so that's always in the back of my mind, but at the same time in point, I also know that this is the best way for my wife and I to be able to build our, our net worth and build our wealth over the long term. It's been proven for the past hundred plus 200 plus years. And so I just know that if I'm going to try if I were to try and do something else, it wouldn't be as high of a chance as I know that we're going to have by just continuing to keep our noses to the ground, throw it in the market and, and let time just work for us. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 298. Stace, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, I'm good over here. Summer Camp Mattinson is going strong. I think I'm considering ordering a camp counselor shirt to wear on all of our outings. And <laughs> maybe I'll get a flag. I don't know. Do I need a flag for when I'm going to the museums? <laughs> uh, and exciting news. Our youngest daughter is getting out of her spike cast tomorrow, which is a crazy cast that goes from about the belly button down to your ankles um, for hip dysplasia. So I've had a fun three months of people asking me what happened to her as, as if I broke both of my daughter's legs. Her legs are not broken. She has one hip with hip dysplasia and that's part of a kind of a more aggressive treatment when a brace doesn't work. So if you see a baby in a crazy cast, maybe it's a spiky cast. Maybe they have hip dysplasia. <laughs> yeah, we're all excited for that but you especially as you've uh you've crushed it with with it the crazy thing is is like she's been able to figure out how to walk with that thing which it's wild it told us she was basically just going to kind of lay there for three months but uh i think she had some other plans so uh excited for that and we're as you mentioned, Camp Mattinson, I need to attend that one of these days. But uh, we're definitely in full <laughs> full swing for summer right now, and uh, it's getting toasty. I know uh, just a few few uh, projects around the house this week, and uh, didn't think I was going to get burnt because I thought I was in the shade, but uh, it was definitely not the case. But I'm, I, I'm really proud of you. You dusted off that power washer today, and that was impressive. <laughs> Yeah, it looks good. I'm glad. I'm glad I could get that done. So, uh, yeah, episode 298 today. We've got uh, Jordan. He, he's young. He's actually one of our youngest millionaires, 32 years old, and net worth just around a million bucks. Over half is in retirement vehicles, and about half is in his business. And we kind of discuss valuation a little bit. It's kind of hard to kind of put a value on his business, and we'll kind of get into the details why, but. There probably is some value there, and and uh, I think it, it, at any rate, it pushes him probably close to a million or over a million. 
And uh, yeah, so he's got he's got a little bit of crypto and some home equity. We get into the details. One of the crazy, unique things uh, about Jordan, and he is the youngest person we found on the podcast to begin to contribute to a, a, a Roth IRA. In fact, he started that in high school. So uh, yeah, pretty wild. Last year we had, or uh, last week we had Eric, net worth of one point two million dollars, uh, spread all across all sorts of asset classes. So, go check out that episode with Eric. Jace, question for you. Yes. Here's my interview question: What's the youngest age you can be to contribute to a Roth IRA? There's no age limits, really. You just need to have earned income. So, I mean, technically, I guess a baby that's modeling could could uh could contribute so yeah i don't uh at least i'm not aware of any age limits that the uh irs has set on that it's just all about the income so. well i'm submitting headshots this week for all three of our kids <laughs> our kids already have roth accounts but uh and it wasn't from modeling money but uh not a lot in there for them they haven't really earned that much but you're, you're telling me I've been trying to get them to work. I know we gotta we gotta get them working more so they can put some more money in there. But hey, at least they got them started. You know, at least they were able to earn a little bit of money and find some coins. And I don't know, maybe maybe we'll start selling some snow cones this week or something. Now that it's hot. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email: millionairesunveiled at gmail dot com. Always looking for great, unique guests. If you haven't heard your story yet either, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Definitely getting a couple more uh, unique inquiries. So got a few coming up that I'm, I'm super stoked about uh, that are kind of first-timers. So yeah, if you haven't heard your story or, or found somebody that you uh, highly resonate with, send us an email. We'll get, uh, get that scheduled. Also, please leave us a review. Helps us continue to grow the show, get new guests, great guests. And uh, it's a nice thank you for those that have come on. It's all volunteer for those that uh, come on the show. So appreciate those that have left reviews uh, here recently. Definitely looking to uh, continue that that uh, over the summer months here. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Jordan. Jordan, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Sure. First, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Background. So I originally started as uh, an educator. So I was in the K-12 schools. I was a health and physical education teacher. I was doing that for three years. And I started a side business in the summers, being that in education, you've got the summers off. So I was looking for something that I could do during that time. And um, started a window cleaning company, actually learned from my uncle who was in the construction cleanup business. So he kind of got me started and, and off on the right foot there. And, uh, over time I just decided that it was something that I could take and, and go full time with. So that's what I ended up doing. Grew it to a point where we were large enough where I could decide to bring on some more people, bring on maybe an operations manager and at that time, it was right during when my wife and I were going to start a family. And oddly enough, it was right about that time, right before COVID hit as well. And so um, obviously, we didn't know that COVID was going to be happening at that time. But we decided, my wife and I, that if possible, could we focus on the part of the company that took the least amount of time and stress on me 
and maybe find a way to decide, okay, do we want to have somebody else run this other part of the company, or maybe we could piece it out. And that's what we ended up doing. So I sold a portion of the company that was kind of more time consuming and more stressful on me. And uh, so to this day, now I'm pretty much consider myself a solo operator. I do have a couple part-time people that help me out. Um, but for the most part, I again, I consider myself to be a solo entrepreneur. So doing mostly commercial window cleaning at this point. Awesome. Good for you. And how long have you been in this business now? Uh, since 2015. So we started in 2015. Okay. Uh, so yeah, about eight years. Good for you. And what is your net worth today outside the business? Outside of the business, let's see, net worth looks to be about 530. Okay. If you put, I mean, I know we were talking about this a little bit before, but it's hard to, hard to put a value on the business given the, the nature of your business and contracts or non commercial contracts in some cases and in other cases not. But at, at any rate, you've got some sort of multiple there that, that pushes it up. We just don't know what. Right. Yep. Exactly. Like you said, we touched on it a little bit before the meeting and you know, good or bad with the window cleaning business or, and like you've talked about commercial contracts, it's, it's somewhat goodwill, you know, we're, we're the customers that we have, they trust the work that you do, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, unless you have a written contract tomorrow, they could say, Hey, we're going to be moving another direction. So, you know, to value the business, it, it is somewhat difficult in that regard, but um, still, you know, we, we do have contracts with, commercial clients. So there is some value there. It's just depending on who you ask, they, they would say, you know, the valuation piece is going to be a little bit difficult. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, let's just focus on the, on the five thirty and figure that you've got some sort of business value that pushes you close to the, you know, million mark or, or maybe slightly over who knows at, at any rate, the five thirty. how is that broken up? Yeah. So we've got, let's see. My wife and I, we each have our own separate Roth IRAs. Uh, each of those have about 60000 in them. We each have a 401k. So I actually have a, a solo 401k. So I do that through, uh, for me, for myself as a solo entrepreneur. Um, so in that, let's see, I've got about 80000 in there. My wife's 401k has 30000 And then we have each have taxable accounts. 50,000 in one and about 30,000 in the other. And I do have, we do have some allocation to uh, cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin and Ethereum at right now we've got 30,000 there. And then I believe I, I believe I put it in the net worth, my wife being a teacher. So she is going to have, well, she's got a, a pension, if you will. So, I mean, the pension is valued right now at, it looks to be 32,000. So I'm not quite sure how we should be putting that into our net worth or not being that, you know, that's all dependent on what happens down the line with how many years she's been teaching and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's a, an interesting topic. It's come up a few times just in general with, with public service on, you know, these pensions, how to value them. Obviously there is some sort of value because, at some future point, I mean, especially once you're vested, as long as we don't come become belly up, then, you know, we probably have some sort of, you know, numerical number we can back into on a value on that. But 
as you mentioned, it's it's slightly difficult. And then you also have some home equity, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that, that kind of rounds out everything. And then the home, is it, do you have debt on the home? Yes. So we, uh, let's see, we've got 150000 left on the mortgage. We purchased the house. And when, when we do that, 2018, we purchased the house for 200000 normal 30-year mortgage. And then when COVID hit, we refinanced when the rates were pretty much pretty as low as they could go. And we refinanced into a 15 year. So we will have our house paid off about 12 years at this point. Why did you do decide to do the refinance? And or I guess, did you, did you pull cash out at all when you did that? No, we didn't pull any cash out or anything like that. Okay. So it you was, just took from a 30 year to a 15 year and increased your payment. And what was the, the thought process with that? Yeah. Yeah. We, our, our original interest rate when we bought in 2018 was four, gosh, I don't know, 4.75 or something like that. But yeah, as, as COVID hit and the interest rates were kind of going down, I just said, hey, let's, let's just take a look at what we would have going on here. And after we ran the numbers to go from a 30-year down to a 15-year, our monthly payment went up by like just under $200 a month to do that with the interest rate changes. So just in my head, I said, well, you know what, for, I can swallow paying another 200 bucks a month. If that means we can go from 30 down to 15, you know, I also talked to my wife. It's, we have less flexibility that way. Obviously, you know, we're increasing our, our mortgage payment. Now we're having less to be able to invest the difference. It wasn't necessarily a mathematical way of me saying this is the best thing to do. It was more of a, behavioral thing for me to say, Hey, if I can cut this mortgage down in half for a couple hundred bucks a month, that was, that's pretty much what I decided to do. So Jordan, um, I think it's a good segue into how you think about your investments with your profession. How does the money come in? Are you thinking of it in terms of like project by project? Uh, do you have a salary that you give yourself? And does that inform how you uh, invest on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis? Like, what's how does the money come in, and how do you how do you think about how the money goes out, so to speak? Sure. Yeah. Good question. Um, so I think uh, so. I'm I give myself a salary. So we I'm an LLC taxed as an S corp. So I fifty percent of my pay is w2 salary 50 percent is in draws and so how i think about the money that's coming in how we have it set up right now is i i'm pretty much know what my workload is on a weekly basis a lot of our commercial accounts we're doing every couple of weeks or every four weeks and so i kind of know my numbers on a weekly basis and uh so as that money comes in, it basically turns around at month end. I make my uh, max contributions to my 401k, and then I get to do the employer match for that as well. Um, so I, I give to my 401k and the match on a monthly basis. I pay myself on a monthly basis as well. And so I, I guess if I think about it from an investing standpoint, then yeah, I'm I look at it as I'm, I'm dollar cost averaging on a monthly basis into my investments. Sure. 
and you know, uh, I have a lot of uh, contractor friends, and so you know, a lot of the money comes in project by project, right? And so you have the the money isn't necessarily coming in the same every single month. And so when you're like when Jace was asking you why why did you refinance into a fifteen, sure. a lot of things come down to here's the monthly that I can count on. So you know, having roughly the same payment and paying it off sooner is a common strategy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and that's a good talk about, you know, some contractors, I could, I could see that, uh, having that variable pay based on, you know, projects being done, I guess maybe that's a little bit where it's a little bit different for what I'm doing in the fact that, you know, the commercial accounts that we're cleaning, we're doing it on such a recurring basis that it's almost considered a route, if you will. So every week or every two weeks, I'm doing a lot of these same jobs over and over and over again all year long. And so I kind of can, to a degree, know pretty much what my week is going to pay, what my month is going to pay. Now, we do have busy times, you know, in spring and fall. We do get some bigger commercial accounts that go maybe twice a year. And so there are fluctuations in the spring and fall where my pay will actually be larger, or should I say my revenue will be larger. Um, but yeah, for the most part, to make that decision on the refinancing of the home, I looked at it as how I have things set up. Uh, I pretty much know what my pay is going to be. Um, now, obviously, Jace, we talked about that beforehand, how we can have these contracts and at any point in time, they can decide to go elsewhere. So um, it, it is a fine line of, of trying to balance that piece too, knowing that, hey, you we have contracts right now that are on a recurring basis, but again, at any point in time, they can drop. Yeah, for sure. As, as far as your investments that are in the market, whether it's just the solo 401k or the, the Roths, are those invested primarily in index funds or stocks or bonds? Uh, primarily in index funds, yep. Pretty much all uh, the S&P 500 or uh, total market. And has it always been that way? Yes, always been that way. Um, you know, originally, kind of a funny story. When I first opened my Roth IRA, I was in high school because a, a speaker came in and was speaking about the Roth IRA. So I thought it was, hey, let's open this baby up. Let's put some money in there. And according to this person, if I just keep putting money in there, I'll be able to retire someday, right? So I, I did that, opened it up, put money in there. But for probably three, four years of that, it was just sitting in the Roth IRA in cash because I didn't know that I needed to invest those dollars. So lucky enough that I have an interest in personal finance that I figured that out before I had too much money in there. But um, yeah, for the most part, it's it's always been invested in index. Oh, that's pretty wild. And, and just for our listeners, because you're not that far removed from high school, how old are you now? I'm 32. Wow, pretty young. So why did why did you start a business in the window washing space in 2015? Why was that the pick? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was at that, at that time, my wife and I both teachers and in the summers she had a side job or side income. She was a lifeguard. Um, so I was kind of saying, Hey, you know what? I can, I can do something on the side too. I don't want to sit around all summer either. So I said, I'd like to do something where maybe I could make some extra money and started to think about some things that I wanted to do or what I would like to do. And 
my uncle was or still is uh, a construction post-construction cleaner. So they do they clean up apartment buildings after they're built. You know, they do it all. They do window cleaning, the carpet cleaning, everything. So they basically get it ready to go. And so I originally went to him to say maybe I wanted to work for him. And he basically told me that if you want the flexibility in the summers and maybe you kind of want to call your own hours, call your own shots, maybe you should just start by learning how to clean windows and and uh, start cleaning for people that you know. And so he got me set up learning knowledge base wise on how to do it, how to do it properly, uh, how to price things properly. And then from there, it just, yeah, I started by the people that I knew and um, from there, it just spread by word of mouth. And so to be honest with you, did I have a passion for cleaning windows? No, I did not. It just seemed to be a good fit at that point in time. Interesting. And here you are eight years later. Exactly. I, I joke I joke all the time. I, I say to myself, uh, did I ever, growing up as a kid, all I wanted to do was, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. Or I wanted to be a professional athlete or I wanted to be, you know, someone that that is in one of those roles and and never in my life did I ever think that I'd be cleaning windows for a living but here I am that's that's what I do every day I clean glass when when did you decide to walk away from the teaching yeah so that I decided to walk away from that um it kind of it kind of lined up relatively well and I I was at a very small school K through 12 so I was teaching from pre-kindergarten through seniors. It was a very small farm community. And I had an opportunity to take a job at another school that was really close to where we lived. So I took that job. I taught there for the first year. And after that first year, they cut all teachers who hadn't been in the district for uh, three years or more. And so at that point, that just happened that I was going to need to be looking for a job, which I wasn't worried about. I mean, for the most part, teachers are always needed. So I wasn't worried about it from that regard, but it just lined up. That's when we started the, or should I say that's when I started the, the business in the summer. And it got, like I said, it got going to the point where I could decide to move forward with that. If I wanted to, I ended up taking a, a uh, one-year teaching job that I f- basically was a, a fill-in job for someone who was going to be on leave. And so that just made sense to continue teaching. And after that year, it the business was at the point where I could make that decision if I wanted to make the plunge. And that's what I decided to do. So um, I'm it, I, to this day, I think about if I didn't get cut from the school that I had gotten a job at that was close to where we lived i i honestly think that i would still be a teacher but it just didn't work out that way and so it's 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 somewhat of a of a funny story to think that you know i'm here today because i got cut but at the same time in point um that's why we can't we can't really predict what life is going to bring at us yeah for sure so as, as you think about the future what do you look, I mean, what do you think your investments will look like and will your strategy change at all? Yeah. Um, I think my investments will, for the most part, stay the same, mostly in index funds, continuing to max out the 401k, max out my wife's 401k, 
do what we can there to, to get as much shoveled into pre-tax as we can. I obviously, I, I feel like as we get to the point where our house is paid off at that point, I'll be, you know, early forties. I, at that point, I feel like I would really want to take the gas off the pedal to a degree. I mean, at this point, we're pretty much all in, you know, uh, the S and P or total stock. So we really don't have any bonds, which I think is fine for us at this point in time. But yeah, I, I definitely see that scaling back as we, as we get to maybe that age 40 mark, we want to start getting into some income producing bonds, if you will. When you think about your business, I mean, is there a certain level that you want to reinvest in your business versus taking and putting it in the market? Yeah. You know, I've thought about that, Jace. That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I always could reinvest and, and, and I could grow again. You know, I could, I could start, you know, marketing and getting more accounts like we did, bringing on employees and that sort of thing. That's certainly something I could do. I just, how life has gone with how I'm running the business right now for the past three years, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for what I had done previously, how, how I'd done previously, just in terms for me, it was more stress, more time. You know, I, I always say that I'm good at running people. When I say running people, employees and what have you, I'm good at it, but I don't like it. It's not, it doesn't line up with my personality, my behavior, uh, who I am as a, as a person and nothing against employees, but for the most part, uh, my mentor who I've contracted a lot of work for, he's been in the window cleaning business for 40 years. He always said to me that running employees is, is kind of like babysitting adults. And I'm not trying to say that that's everybody, but I, to a degree, it, it, it sometimes can feel that way. And so as I look at my lifestyle now and how the business runs now, I don't see me wanting to go back that route where I grow again. So at this point, my reinvestment in the business would probably be more toward equipment, um, maybe some nicer equipment, maybe upgrading a truck, uh, that sort of thing. But I, at, at least at this point, I don't see myself reinvesting in order to aggressively grow, to get larger and to bring on employees. Interesting. Are, are you paying extra on your house right now? Uh, I'm not paying extra, no. So just whatever our, whatever our 15 year is, that's what we're paying. I mean, we do have flexibility or we do have some reserves overflow, if you want to call it that, that we could be throwing more at it. I just, I just haven't, I've just been having those overflow go into our taxable investments. And in, in the taxable accounts, let me back up here. When you started the Roth when you were in high school, which is wild. And then, yeah. I mean, I think that might be a first on the show, Brad. I don't, I don't know if I can think of another episode where we've had something like that. Granted, I did it as well. I mean, but we had Robert. <laughs> Robert, who was like the first, he was probably 50, but he was probably in the, the first year you could have a Roth. He did it. I don't know. That's about as close as I can say to being early to, to adopt something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, kind of what it's, I think it was the late 90s at first. I had a friend named, came Roth, out. I had a friend named Roth in high school. And that's about as close. That's about as much as I knew about Roth IRA. <laughs> so pretty impressive, Jordan. Jordan, let me ask one more question on, on your investment style and just thesis. Why? Why a solo four hundred one k? 
Um, why a solo 401k? Well, I looked into an SEP IRA um, and a simple IRA, and I couldn't get as much into that vehicle as I could with a solo 401k. I could get more more money shoveled in under the umbrella of being tax advantaged. And so that's ultimately the reason why I did it. Really no other reason than that. I just kind of looked at the numbers. How much, how much can I shelter? How much can I shovel in? And that's why I decided to go with that. When, when you and your wife discuss finances, what are, what are those discussions like as it relates to, to where you want to go and your goals and, and running the business and stuff, or or is it completely separate? Um, no, not completely separate. It's funny. My, my wife, she love her. She, but she has said to me, she doesn't want, she doesn't want to have to think about money or anything like that. It's just, it is so funny because I'm into personal finance. I'm into the money side of things and investing. And she is on the further end of the spectrum on the opposite direction. She has wants nothing to do with it. Um, she's a very frugal person. She, we talk about, you know, what we're spending and that sort of thing. So I'm not saying that she doesn't have any, uh, knowledge of money. It's just one of those things that she just doesn't want to have to worry about. And so it's kind of funny how I'm so interested in it and yet she's not. But what we where we do match up is is our lifestyle now and also our lifestyle where we want to be, um, you know, maybe when our kids get out of high school. So right now lifestyle being that she's a teacher, so she gets summers off. So we want to try and work the business where I can take some time off in the summer. Um, you know, the school gets quite a bit of holidays off and long weekends and what have you. And so I try my best to, uh, maneuver the business and what I need to do so that I can take some of those same breaks as her and the kids. Um, so that's what we're focusing on now. I do think a focus of ours would be maybe as our kids, you know, get into high school or maybe get just or leaving high school, we would like to be able to take our foot off the gas pedal. Um, whether that means, you know, maybe I'm only working in the summers, maybe I take the winters off because cleaning windows in the wintertime in Minnesota is not fun. And my wife too, you know, she loves teaching, but maybe it's one of those things. Maybe she could end up being more on a part-time basis or, um, maybe subbing or that sort of thing, just so that we can have the ability to, if we chose to just not be going a hundred miles an hour. In Actually, let me ask, how many children do you have? Uh, two girls. So two, oh, nice. one is one is one and one is almost three. Oh, wow. So are they are they in in daycare during the during the day when your wife's at work and you're at work? That's correct. Yes. OK, that's not, that can't be cheap, right? <laughs> no, we joke. It's a second house payment. So <laughs> that's yeah, I love my girls. But oh, boy, that yeah, that daycare. That daycare payment is not fun, but it's absolutely, it's a necessary evil. I understand that, but yeah, it's, it's not fun writing a second house payment out. Yeah, no kidding. I get, we get emails and things from time to time on listeners that are always like, you got to ask about daycare. Like how expensive is it for everybody? I'm like, <laughs> look, it's expensive no matter where you live in the country. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we, we do an in-home daycare, so we're not at a, a center Oh, okay. Um, you know, the centers I, I know are more even so. So, I mean, we're, I feel like we're at a pretty affordable in-home daycare and it still is, is hard to swallow. 
Can you refinance that into a 15 year? Our, say, I'm sorry, say that again, our, our mortgage. I was making a bad joke about. Oh, you were making a joke. I thought you were being funny, but I just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be one thing, right? If you could, if you could, uh, if you could amortize the the fifth or the what three to five years of daycare, whatever you end up doing across fifteen years instead. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I. That's funny. I thought you were joking. I, I liked it, but yeah. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you one pro tip. Um, and obviously daycare is hard, but uh, we did find for ours. I mean, that was a tough period where we were paying that, um, and my business was at its lowest point. Uh, so it was a double whammy. But we found a place that was uh, a nonprofit. It actually worked under the child care tax credit. I don't know if all daycare does or if it has to be a nonprofit in order to get the child care tax credit. Mm. Um, but I I did enjoy the that, that credit um, every year. I want to say we did get the child care tax credit last year. Yeah, I know that's a good point. That's a good point. I throw that over to my accountant. So yeah, if you didn't, it's above the line. So it's uh it's a it's a true one to one. That's good. That's hey, but at least at least it lessens the burden a little bit, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Jordan, what's the most expensive pair of shoes that you've purchased? Expensive pair of shoes would have to be my basketball shoes when I was in high school. Uh, what those come out to? One hundred and forty bucks. You still play basketball? I try. I, you know, we do. We've got some. Uh, leagues here and so I try and do you know maybe a day on average a day a week of playing whether that's at a a, a morning basketball league or a, a league at one of our local centers here good deal what's the most expensive meal out that you paid for that would be my wife and I had an anniversary um yeah what did we pay there I think it was two 200 I think okay what'd you have Oh, it was, it was the full deal. I don't know. Some six course thing. I mean, we had, we were, we were done eating before our, our regular meal came. So yeah, it was, it was, yeah, salad and we had the soup and we had something else to get us warmed up for the main dish. And then of course the main dish comes and it's like heavy pasta. And for dessert, we had some brownie something and oh boy. Yeah, we were, we were full. Good for you. What's the most expensive car that you've purchased? Uh, that would be my, well, our business, my truck for my business um, was 20000 So if you want to call it that, but on the personal side, we still own it as a Ford Escape. Um, we bought it in 2016. It's a 2012 Ford Escape, and that was 14000 when we bought it. Okay. What has been one of the best experiences that you've paid for and how much was yeah, it? Yeah, that would, that would be my wife and I's uh, honeymoon. Um, we went to Mexico, an all-inclusive stay for seven days. And then each day we did some sort of an excursion. So we went to the Mayan ruins one day. <clears throat> one day we went zip lining, that sort of thing. So I think all in all, that ended up being just under just under five thousand. I think for the whole shooting match. Okay, what's still on the bucket list that you haven't done yet? Yeah, um, 
we would like to go, gosh, we'd like to go to, to Israel. We'd like to go to the Holy Land. Um, my wife and I, we um, were Christians. We um, always kind of would feel like that would be pretty cool to be able to go over and see where a lot of the Bible took place. Um, so someday that would be cool to go over there, but we, we would need to have a, a guide to show us around. This is where this happened. Or, um, we did, we wouldn't want to go over there blind because we're not educated enough to, <laughs> to really get the full experience. So, um, we would love to have some sort of a, a set kind of plan where someone could show us around over there. Has your risk tolerance changed since you graduated college? Uh, yes, I would say so. In, in college, you know, we didn't have as much invested. So, I mean, we'd have some drawdowns and it was like, well, you know, a drawdown of X percent on not very much money doesn't hurt as much. But, you know, as we've been able to increase our income and really max out our accounts the past few years, uh, the drawdowns, they, they hurt. They hurt a lot more. Um, and so I would say that absolutely my risk tolerance has um, gone down. I, I, I know that we have a long runway, but when you just, you start to see your accounts get larger, the, the losses also become larger. So even though, again, you know that this is all part of the game, it's all part of the long term. It's just seeing a bigger number plays a, a behavioral role on me. Over the last, I guess, four to six months as the market's gone down, has that changed your mindset on investing at all? No, it hasn't changed my mindset, but it just, I don't know. The thing that gets me is, is you get a lot of this talk of saying, Hey, you know, a lot of people who were able to retire or retire early, it was kind of like, wow, they got to invest in that decade. That was pretty much nothing but up and to the right, you know, when they were investing most of their money, there's a part of me in the back of my mind that's saying, you know, we're going to start shoveling all of our money in and we're going to go through some larger drawdown that might extend, you know, longer than what we've been used to in the in the past decade or so. Um, so that's always in the back of my mind. But at the same time in point, I also know that this is the best way for my wife and I to be able to build our our net worth and build our wealth over the long term. It's been proven for the past hundred plus 200 plus years. And so I just know that if I'm going to try if I were to try and do something else, it wouldn't be as high of a chance as I know that we're going to have by just continuing to keep our noses to the ground, throw it in the market and, and let time just work for us. How much TV do you watch a week? Honestly, we don't, we watch like very little TV. Um, my kids, my girls, my older girl, Loves uh, to watch Frozen and Moana, and now she's into uh, what's been her favorite one, Tiana and the Frog. So we've been watching a lot of animated movies. So I would say TV, not so much. But you want to talk about Disney movies? I'm yeah, we watch a lot of Disney. How do you manage your time and stay productive? I for me, I, I got I get up early, um, so I'm usually. I'm usually up at four or four thirty every day. So I try to get, you know, maybe an hour, a strong hour in the mornings of doing whatever I need to do on the business side of things from an administrative side, whether that's emails or invoicing or whatever that is. Cause I'm usually wanting to be on the job site if I can by 
six or six thirty, and I'm usually working all day. And then I pick up my girls uh, at four thirty from daycare. So sometimes I'm able to get home and maybe have a half hour or so to kind of close out the day and do what I need to do on the computer. But for the most part, I just I use my mornings really wisely. Um, and then it's the same thing on the weekends too. Before my before my girls get up in the morning, I try to wake up early enough where I can get a a little bit of administrative work done. So for me, it's kind of using my mornings really wisely. And I am able to use some windshield time as well when I'm driving in between projects. Um, I can make some calls and and that sort of thing. So I try to be razor sharp with any kind of open time that I have so that when I'm at home with my my family, I there's just there's really no there's no, there's not, nothing's going to be getting done. Let's just say that my girls are, are young and, um, just not a lot of time to be able to devote to work when I'm at home with them. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out? I would say, I mean, it's the cliche thing. I mean, if you, if you're talking about investing, you know, you just, you got to start now. Honestly, I, I don't even, I don't even care if it's in a if it's in an IRA or whatever. It's just the the fact of acting on it by saying I'm going to attempt to live on less than I earn, and I'm going to take that difference and I'm going to invest it. You know, the biggest thing for me that got me started on my journey was because in high school I was lucky enough to have a speaker who came in who talked about that, who showed us the numbers, who said if you started right now as a high schooler and you're a pizza delivery driver and you're able to put X amount in right now, but you increase this over time as you age, this is what can happen. And that just resonated with me because at the time in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but that sounded like something that I could commit to. I could commit to saying, I'm going to put in X amount of dollars from this day forth, and I'm just going to invest it and let time work for me. So um, again, that's, that's the biggest thing I can say is try and figure out how to get your big three expenses in, in check, your housing, your transportation, and your food, take that difference and, and invest it. Awesome. I want to touch on something that, that you shared with us that you're working on called the Wealth Letters. What is it and, and what prompted you to start that? And just for our listeners, I'm a participant or will be participating depending on when this airs. And at some point, I probably will read mine across the air. So, but give you give you the stage to to describe it a little bit and tell our listeners what it is and and why you started it yeah yeah i appreciate that um so the wealth letters is uh it's a collection of letters that i'm collecting from people from all walks of life on the pursuit of money and meaning and so the idea is i started it because as we kind of touched on jace you, you asked me what how has my risk tolerance changed and the impetus for this project was during the COVID crash. Um, you know, my wife and I, we had just started to max out our IRAs. We had just made a big lump sum uh, investment into the market from my business sale. And this was in February. So COVID happened in March. And as we all know, you know, it 33, 35% drop in a matter of a couple of weeks. And I made the mistake of capitulating. I got out of the market. I said to my wife, I said, we're, you know, we've been saving so much money and it's, it's difficult for us to see 30% of our net worth drop within a span of a couple of weeks. And then we all know what happened from there. Obviously the market came roaring right back 
And it showed me that I got away from everything that I knew about personal finance, that I'm supposed to stay the course, that I'm supposed to have my risk tolerance in place, that I'm not supposed to let my behavioral uh, mistakes get in the way. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and so as my girls were born, I just know how much that that had an impact on me and my mindset. Um, and so originally I started to say, I, I don't want my daughters to make that mistake. So I started to write them a letter that was based on finance and it just, it morphed into a letter on my personal findings on, you know, what I've found to be meaningful in life, whether that be career, whether that be money, whether that be relationships. After I was done with it, I had uh, some fam family and friends, they, they read it and they thought it was a really cool idea. And I had a few other people reach out saying that they wanted to do something similar. And so really, yeah, I kind of just started originally for my two girls. And now it's expanded to saying, you know what? I don't want my girls to only listen to me. I want them to be able to have a wide variety of philosophies and insights from others on what they've found to be a meaningful life. And so that's the idea behind it is to, to put that collection together. That's awesome. Appreciate you sharing that and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. That's Jordan with the net worth, probably around a million dollars with the value of the business. Thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate it, Jace. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.